We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search, match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying you heard about Indeed on this podcast. Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. Welcome into the Road to Wire Fantasy Football Podcast. I'm your host, John McKechnie, joined as always by Mario Puig. This podcast presented by our good friends over at WinBet. Today we're going to get into NFL Conference Championship Weekend. Got a lot to unpack. We're going to unpack a little bit from last weekend as well, and then dive a little bit into a recent RotoWire staff rookie dynasty mock draft. So a we'll, lot to get to here, despite just having two games on the slate this weekend. Let's get after it. Welcome back in, Roadwire Fantasy Football Podcast, John McKechnie, Mario Puig, hanging out with you on this Thursday. Apologize for the technical difficulties earlier, but Mario, how are you doing on this fine Thursday? Oh, fine. Uh, it's not as cold here. I don't really have any thoughts otherwise. What about you? Uh, pretty good on, on my end. Uh, the bowling league that, that I joined gets underway this evening, uh, so... Team Spare the Bees, uh, getting ready to, to make our triumphant debut here in Midtown Atlanta. Uh, very excited for that. We got shirts uh, that, that a friend of mine's girlfriend has, has put together for us with the, with our official team logo. Got our got our names on the front. Uh, very legitimate operation we're running here. Does it have something cool like a, an Anchorman quote on it or something like that? Hey, it's not Reddit to bull. It's not Redditable? No, it's not Reddit to bull. It's okay. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Sorry. <laughs> I don't even think it's Reddit to be uh, a guy who says I love lamp and stuff like that all the time. I just, uh, I don't know. I feel like I've, I feel like if I saw a, a gaggle of uh, normal looking guys, guys who aren't like me and are well adjusted and, you know, happy with the world and everything, and they all had a shirt for something for a bowling league, I just imagined it would have like a, I don't know, maybe like, maybe like a stepbrothers thing on it, something like that. Uh, I mean, I guess the, the layup would be Big Lebowski, and then oh you know, yeah, you're right. And then I would personally prefer you know something from the the Simpsons bowling team episode. Yeah, if if you had said uh, I John McKechnie have made a shirt, I would know it was there was a Simpsons thing on it. <laughs> yeah, the, the Kingpins, if I remember correctly, what was um was the team name from from that? But I digress. Uh, we'll, we'll be doing another, a separate uh, bowling podcast. Uh, so watch this space for, for that. But we got football to, to talk about. So before we get into conference championship weekend, let's kind of rewind a little bit, talk about what happened last weekend, because I mean, frankly, I know it's been picked over over the course of this week, but we got to say our two cents on it because 
for for my money, that was the best divisional round, maybe the best just weekend of, of NFL playoff football, top to bottom, uh, that I've ever seen. Yeah, it was it was definitely an all timer. It was also the least the league could do for us after how bad pretty much all <laughs> of the regular season was. Like the NFL really has a quality problem just because so many teams are bad and refs tend to make everything worse in pretty much every game. So it's it's hard to to make the full field competition look that good. But apparently when you actually take some measure to isolate the actually good teams and make them play, um, you might have something worth watching and, and nothing until that point. It's either it's either the best we've ever seen, apparently, or it's just absolute torture to watch. I mean, you know, that jumping off your, your regular season point, Super Wildcard Weekend was pretty bad. Yeah, exactly. In, it's in like even to that. Yeah, once they got to like the number of playoff teams that there should have been in the first place, everything got better. And yeah, there are certain things, certain structural things with the league and the way they run their games that probably make it worse. But the biggest problem all along is that too many of these teams have bad players, and too many of them are run by stupid people. And the teams that aren't full of bad players and aren't necessarily run by the stupidest people in the world. Hey, they can still make a good product. It's a it's a reason. Uh, if if nothing else, it's a reason for the league to consider putting more teeth behind the Rooney Rule or something. Because like clearly, there's an issue of the same stupid people getting hired over and over and over and uh, breaking up that like you know whoever's holding that gate, whoever is making sure the dumbest people who who have just uh, you know paid dues to the previous generation of dumbest people taking every new job. Like that cycle has to break. Yeah, it, it does. I mean, the, and it you know it dovetails perfectly with the fact that what there are nine, ten teams looking for new head coaches right now, and a bunch of them also having GM changes. I mean, it, like that's almost a third of the league that that were were so pitiful this season that they had to make a coaching change. And it's not like a, other than like Sean Payton, it's not like all, all these guys were were long time coaches like they, they were you know within the last three or so years in, in in most cases and they already had to pull the plug so like we we see it again this cycle that that you mentioned it, it something's got to change with it there has to be people that are more qualified than than what is currently getting hired at, at the nfl head coaching level because it's a joke and you know these teams they make such a public display of, of their coaching searches and they tweet out like hey we just completed our second interview with you know so and so and it's like well, yeah, and some right? of the new hires aren't necessarily helping it either because some of these guys are just going to be a different kind of stupid. Like it's going to be whereas we used to select stupid head coach hires just because this guy is a friend of this guy and he, you know, paid his dues in the year as an assistant in the league for 15 years as an assistant. Uh, it's like guys like that used to be the ones who got hired just because people knew them. Uh, the back room deal makers, they they all speak fondly of the people who, you know, pay the dues, stay in the system and treat it the right way. Uh, you know, don't complain, don't don't leak things to the press. And, and eventually, if you if you curry the right collection of favors, you might get into a position of authority. Whereas now it rather than sort of like a sober opponent to that sort of method, what we're getting instead is these uh, McKinsey and company and like. Um, I don't know, I don't know where all they come from, but basically, um, all these people who work for like hedge funds and stuff, like that's the alternative that we're being offered is like, Hey, we, we got to stop hiring, uh, the fail sons of the stupidest coach of 20 years ago. And instead start hiring these people who want to liquidate all human labor into, uh, <laughs> organs and cash. 
So like that's that's the alternative that we've been given, and uh, I'm a little skeptical that it's going to be that great. It's it's uh, there'll be some good ones, you know. It's like Sashi Brown, he he's like the so-called analytics guy, like the first one, and I thought he was actually pretty reasonable. But now you know it's never enough with those people. It's like you got. Uh, the the analytics uh, Bloomberg wing now saying like we have to hire uh, guys who uh, you know have economics PhDs like mm, that's not going to help. Ezekiel Elliott's getting paid. Oh my God! Yeah, sounds Ezekiel large. Elliott owes Jerry Jones fifty million dollars <laughs> if you don't count interest. Yeah. It's, Which yeah. we will. Well, we, we absolutely will. Compounding. I, I don't know. I, I think I only took like one economics class in college, if I it's remember right. one too right. many, John. Economics yeah, I, is a dark sorcery of, of uh, the underworld, Moloch, things like that. There's supply and there's demand. Uh, and that, that's about the, the extent of my know, knowledge there. Um, don't really know how they, how they correlate, however. Um, anywho, um, so uh, zooming back out, um, any other big takeaways from from last weekend, uh, specifically on, on, among the teams that, that were eliminated and, and, you know, what what their path forward is, because like I think Tampa Bay, I think there's a le- very legitimate chance that t- Tom Brady retires. I've never heard him really talk like this before. And uh, I also just kind of think here, here's my like hot take prediction. He steps away for, for this coming year. And he comes back next year. <laughs> That, Takes that, a break. Uh, yeah, comes back I, at a refreshed forty-seven years old. Um, just, he spends the year, um, you know, like throwing tomatoes because he doesn't eat them, and and just eating avocado ice cream to to prepare himself. And sh- surely he will look less rickety after a year off. He'll come back like very conspicuously uh, chrome, like he <laughs> very clearly like just became a machine. Um, <laughs> That's why he took the time off is to like go go to some uh, horrible horrifying laboratory where they reconstructed him uh, as an immortal quarterback. Um, but yeah, I think uh, yeah, I mean if if Tom changed his, I would have figured he would have been coming back. And, and if he changed his mind, maybe something about like the Antonio Brown thing just drained him of his will to do whatever this is. And maybe, maybe that changed his outlook. I don't really know, but I kind of expect him to come back just because I can't really imagine a world without Tom Brady ruining my life every year mm-hmm. um and uh beyond that it, they just yeah the, the buccaneers had bad luck with injuries the antonio brown thing etc cetera, etc cetera. uh the packers on the one hand kind of blew it but I, i'd say I, I more so give credit to the 49ers for showing up in a tough setting uh they only had one narrow path to winning and they they built that path for themselves you know get to yep. the fourth quarter in a one score game and, and you're you're basically as close to money as you can get. And the Packers, that was like the one thing they couldn't allow. It did happen. And it's like the reason you can't let that happen is because sometimes stupid things like blocked puns happen. And um, that's why you couldn't do that. So uh, the cold definitely weighed down Rodgers. It's it's it, it, like the Lambo advantage, the Lambo winter advantage that only exists from degrees like eight to uh, 30, you know, going below mm-hmm. zero isn't good for anybody, not even not even the Packers quarterback, even if it's Favre, even if it's Rodgers. So, um, yeah, the, the 49ers ran a bit better, played field position better, sp- played special teams better, and that's what happens in a game where no one can throw. And, you know, the, this it, it's more of a luck-based outcome because this, the sample is shortened and made noisy, and so you have to be in a position to, to thrive on the chaos, and, and the Packers weren't. No, they, they weren't. And, you know, now that, you know, this is what, two years in a row where they were the one seed and that they lose at home in, in the playoffs. This is the second time in three years that they've lost to San Francisco. 
in the in the playoffs and you know similar to, to Tampa Bay and I, th- I think this is the theme with, with every team that got eliminated save for the bills but I, I think that there's a potential that they have a hangover next year for, from just the the mental scarring of, of that game in Kansas City but I, th- I think when it comes to Tampa Bay and, and um, Green Bay specifically you know we, we could see changes at quarterback that, that drastically change the fortunes of those franchises. Yeah, I don't know what to make of this Hackett to Denver thing. I, I still feel like the, the roadblock is like, what are the Packers going to let Rodgers or the rest of the league do? Like, even if Rodgers wants out, and I don't, I don't know why we would take that for a given even, but even if Rodgers is like, let me go to Denver, it's like, how is that any different than what happened last year, you know? So uh, he might need to retire if he's not willing to play for the Packers and if the Packers aren't willing to move him for whatever the Broncos or whoever else are willing to pay. Um, but yeah, that, that all changed in a hurry. I have no, no idea where that's headed. Um, for the Bills case, it's like at once, like they're, it's understandable that they'd be kind of like bitter and upset, but it's also like, what more could you have asked that team to do? Like some, it sucks, but sometimes you can play pretty much perfect and still lose a game that, that does happen. Uh, When great teams play, that's often what happens. It's like, it's not that often you see great teams play and one's just like a no show and blows the other away. It's like one of them has to get the short end of the stick and they're both good. So it feels arbitrary and it's, it's not satisfying the way that it ends. But, uh, the one, the one thing they could do is, is make their defense better in the secondary because they don't have enough speed on defense. They don't have playmakers on defense. I mean, Poyer and Hyatt are both good and Poyer is a playmaker. But they, they need speed. You can't play the Chiefs defense or the Chiefs offense when your second corner is Levi Wallace or your first corner is Levi Wallace, your second is Dane Jackson. Like you shouldn't expect to win when that's the case. Yeah, so I think that there should be some some corners available late in the first round when, when they're picking. Thinking maybe like Andrew Booth from Clemson, something like that. Oh, nice. Uh, could, could be a, a decent fit. Um, but but yeah, I, I agree that the secondary obviously needs need some improvement. I mean, what the way that the league is going, you you know, you, a you need a great quarterback, and b you need stuff on, on the back end to slow down other great quarterbacks. Because you know, again, we we saw Mahomes go Grim Reaper mode. You know, thirteen yeah. seconds left, and they're they're able to to get into field goal range, and then win the toss, and that's pretty much over after that. Yeah, and it's it it might have been different if they had Tre'Davious White healthy, and if their second corner was like Greg Newsom instead of Levi Wallace, but if you're going in with Wallace and Dane Jackson, it's it's a miracle if you win. They 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 should almost they should sooner feel lucky that they were as close as they were than um, you know disheartened that they didn't actually win an Arrowhead against Mahomes. So you wrote an article this week. I'd like to touch on it briefly. Um, Gabriel Davis obviously had his very national public uh, you know kind of coming out party on, on Sunday. Two hundred yards, four touchdowns. But he had been productive when given the, the opportunity, like pretty much all season and, and dating back to to his rookie year even. So what's the, the kind of market on, on Davis right now? Is, is he someone that uh, you, you should be aggressively trying to buy in Dynasty? Is he someone that, you know, could sneak his way into the what, like the fourth round in, or maybe higher in redrafts next year? In redraft, I would expect Davis to push for the fourth round like that. That assumes they don't pick another really good receiver somewhere and I, I just would be surprised if they did like the offense was not the problem the offense is not what's holding them back they need and if even as far as the offense goes like I know people can't really people don't really 
uh, understand what I mean or they, they maybe rightfully think I'm crazy for the way I talk about Devin Singletary, but I'm sorry. <laughs> I feel like I know the difference between a running back who's kind of like dictating the game and, and forcing outcomes and Singletary takes what's there because the defense is terrified of Allen throwing deep as they should be. So they don't defend the run that much. And then Singletary basically plays on easy mode all the time. Um, what would be interesting to me is to see what happens when you have a really good running back playing in easy mode in that offense. Like maybe, maybe they could actually go to a new level yet with another running back that that's actually good. I don't really know, but otherwise the only way they improve that team is by improving the secondary, maybe uh, getting Edmonds off the field at linebacker, but realistically they aren't going to do that. So um, if they try to add a receiver, a that's just silly. I don't, I don't see any reason to assume that assume they would do that because it just seems like a bad idea to me. And uh, B, there's not much reason to think the receiver will be better than Davis. And so much of the hangup that people have with Davis is this fixation on the, the thing like, oh, well, his value is so much higher after the game and the, the four touchdown game. And yeah, realistically, you don't want to pay the price to acquire Davis and Dynasty now when you could have done it two weeks ago. Like just for that fact, it, it's, it's unrealistic to, for it to be a good deal for you to pay whatever the high price is. But uh, more, more practically... Uh, relevant the people who do have davis should not sell him for just anything they should Mm -hmm. they should want the world in return because this is a 22 year old receiver he'll turn 23 in april who is on a brilliant course in his nfl production his nfl production history to this point um he was a really good player at ucf uh other than other than just the assumption that like oh this is all based on this one game Uh, I, i guess this could be a corollary of that assumption but a lot of people who say like oh you're just basing this on one game you know, Davis wasn't that good of a prospect. That's a false assumption, or at least I think that's that's something that's false at this point, given what he's done in the NFL. And it's not like I'm just ignoring his prospect profile coming in. His prospect profile coming in was good. It just wasn't like it wasn't a slam dunk prospect the way that like you know AJ Brown is. Like he didn't check every box, specifically the athleticism. I think he's an above average athlete, but he wasn't a great athlete. So yeah, it's going to be tough for a guy who's not a great athlete who played at a smaller school to compete for a draft slot with guys who are going, you know, Mims, uh, Van Jefferson being Mississippi, Florida background. Those guys went ahead of him, but they shouldn't have. And if the way a lot of these dynasty uh, community people think, there's so much uh, just like Calvinism around uh, draft capital. And so many of the people complaining about Davis right now on Twitter would be the people praising him if he had simply gone in the second round instead of the fourth because they believe in this predetermination thing. And it's like, look, if you must, just imagine a world where Gabriel Davis went in the second round instead of Denzel Mims. Are you over it yet? (laughs) In most cases, they are, which is ridiculous. Yeah, well, uh, that well put, well put, especially, you know, with the contextualizing uh, next to, yeah, Denzel Mims, uh, who I, I believe is on, on a milk carton at, at this point, as far as I know, I have not, have not heard, <laughs> have not uh, heard much. I think the, the, those, those milk cartons have been, uh, they're at the bottom of a landfill as of like six months ago, you know? <laughs> yeah, t- tough scene out there um, for for the Jets and then, you know, the rest of the league, of course, for, for passing on Davis. And, and yeah, the, the combo of, of him and Diggs, um, just, just really stellar. And I, I don't necessarily foresee them really uh, spending much draft capital uh, at receiver that I think they need to address the things that, that we mentioned specifically um, secondary. Maybe they could, the use, uh, they could use like a speed specialist. They could use like a prime Marquise Goodwin 
to line up outside when they when they go three wide and move Davis into the slot. Otherwise, in three wide, it should be Davis outside opposite Diggs and Isaiah McKenzie in the slot or maybe Cole Beasley. But this thing where Davis is running behind Sanders and Beasley, that's over. Yep, ab- absolutely. That yeah, the Sunday was was uh, firm proof of that. I would like to see a little bit more Isaiah McKenzie as, as a yeah. uh, as a great. He's better at be- than Beasley at that short slot underneath stuff. Like Beasley defenses, it was kind of like almost like a Singletary situation where they couldn't even capitalize as an offense. Like defenses didn't care about Cole Beasley this year. He was he was dragging down that offense. Yeah, he was, and McKenzie can just do do so much uh, after the catch. I mean, he's just. Uh, they called him the human joystick when he, when he was at Georgia and with good reason, he's got incredible like short area quickness and, and moves. So I think that should be utilized in the tertiary role behind Diggs and Davis. Um, before we get on to uh, the, this weekend's game, we got a message from our friends over at blue wire. This Rotowire podcast is brought to you by my favorite meal kit factor. I gave factor a try and I can tell you firsthand eating better is easy with factors, delicious, ready to eat meals Every meal arrives fresh, not frozen, and they're chef-crafted, dietitian approved and ready to go in just two minutes. Every week, you'll have over 35 different options to choose from, and there's something for every diet, including Calorie Smart, Protein Plus, and Keto, and there are more than 60 add-ons to help you stay fueled up and feeling good all day long. So what are you waiting for? Get started today and get after those wellness goals. One of my favorite things about Factor is the convenience. We're talking meals that are good to go in two minutes or less. You could fuel up fast with Factor's restaurant-quality meals that are ready to heat and eat wherever you are. There's no prep, there's no mess, no cooking, no cleanup, none of that. It's perfect if you have a busy lifestyle and you can't dedicate an hour-plus each day to preparing lunch or preparing dinner. Factor is the perfect solution if you're looking for fast, premium options with no cooking required. Factor also offers options for every meal. Pancakes, smoothies, you name it. Discover a wide variety of easy options for the entire day, like breakfast, midday bites, dinner, whatever you need, Factor has it. Factor is also tailored to your schedule, so you can get as much or as little as you need by choosing your meals each week. Plus, you could pause or reschedule your deliveries anytime. We've done the math. We've run the numbers over here. Factor is less expensive than takeout, and every meal is dietitian approved to be both nutritious and delicious. Head over to factormeals.com slash rotowire50 and use the code rotowire50. That'll get you 50% off your order. That's code rotowire50 at factormeals.com slash rotowire50 to get 50% off today. We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search, match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying you heard about Indeed on this podcast. Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. 
And we've also got a message from our friends over at WinBet. If there's one thing we appreciate here at RotoWire, it's making good decisions. And even more so, making the right decision. Listen up, folks. I have an incredible offer for you with RotoWire's newest partner, WinBet, the premier digital casino and sportsbook app. WinBet is now the exclusive sponsor for RotoWire's fantasy podcast. WinBet brings you all the latest action with a user friendly interface, money line bets, boosted parlays, over unders, round robins, live betting, and so much more at your fingertips. Want a break from sports betting? Head into WinBet's digital casino and take a spin on roulette, double down in blackjack, slam the slots, or try your hand at Baccarat. WinBet is currently available in seven states that's Arizona, Colorado, Indiana. Michigan, New Jersey, Tennessee, and Virginia, while rapidly expanding at WinBet, the possibilities are limitless. WinBet is currently offering all RotoWire listeners a risk-free bet up to $500 on your first wager. Download WinBet now. That's W-Y-N-N-B-E-T. WinBet, the exclusive partner for RotoWire's fantasy podcast. All right, Mario, onward to conference championship weekend. We'll kick things off with the AFC championship matchup. And we, we didn't really touch much on the uh, Bengals-Titans game, kind of a, a slugfest. I was expecting the game to be a little bit more exciting, but it was still a close game. It just wasn't nearly as well played as some of those other ones that we saw this past weekend. And and if, I, if I'm being honest right now, you know, you, you look at this, the spread, Chiefs minus seven. I'm looking at alternate lines, man. I'm, I'm looking at, and they're not the best value, but I would bet the Chiefs, up to minus 13 and a half. I you think they're going I think they're going to smoke the Bengals this weekend. I, I think that huh. the Bengals have been a nice story, but they're they're come up their comeuppance is here and I, I I just think that the Chiefs are playing at a level right now that no, the Bengals just simply aren't going to be able to stop them. I mean, if the if the Bengals were going to allow nine sacks a week ago to a, a good pass rush in Tennessee, I just see Ingram Chris Jones, whoever else, just kind of living in that Bengals backfield, and uh, th- the Chiefs are too good to let nine sacks not kind of right. help just bury the other team. There's no Ryan Tannehill to save them this time. Uh, I don't know. On the one hand, I, I do think the Tennessee defense is quite a bit better than the Chiefs one, and that might even include the pass rush with with the Chiefs. Chris Jones is insane. Melvin Ingram, in my opinion, is just kind of like okay he 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 makes some splash plays for the chiefs i think in part because of the absence of anyone else like frank clark just sucks uh (laughs) and uh a lot also like if you're playing the melvin ingram role for the chiefs uh, defense it's a lot easier than whatever job you had before because chris jones draws so much attention and just throws people so much uh so far that it just it's it's there's nothing like playing behind a guy like that um so I don't think they're they're as uh, deep and like they don't, there's no Danico Autry even you know in the chief I guess Jaron Reed's pretty close but uh, anyway I I do prefer the Chiefs that mostly just has to do with um, Mahomes I guess and their playoff experience uh, granted I know the Bengals have two games now two wins even I don't know if that's enough for right now though I think that's more like this experience even if they get smoked by the Chiefs. This is the kind of this is the kind of postseason that a team like the Bengals use to springboard for a real run, like maybe starting next year and beyond that, even ideally. Uh, but right now, if, for me, a game like this it just comes down to I project the Chiefs is just the better team overall. They have the better quarterback. They have the playoff experience. They have the home field, and um, with that, I'm not really sure 
other than chance and luck what comes to the aid of the Bengals uh, good as they are it's not it's not like I want to write them off but I, I'm not sure how they can do better in a scenario than the Bills did basically my, my kind of long-standing take on, on the Chiefs just in general um, it, and it didn't necessarily apply so much this year they looked a lot more mortal that, than they had in, in you know 2018 through 2020 or so but you basically more often than not, you need to play your perfect game to beat the Chiefs, and sometimes your perfect game isn't enough. And and I just kind of feel like this is a setup where even if the Bengals are, are hitting those splash plays that, that have kind of helped get them there, um, I still think that the, the Chiefs would, would respond in kind, and, and after a while you just kind of run out of gas. But my, my expectation here is that the Bengals, they get, they get down early and it, it just kind of – compounds on itself and I, I just think the Chiefs kind of bludgeon them the rest of the way and, and just kind of remind everyone make a statement on Sunday that they're the best team in football yeah fair enough I mean the one thing that I do believe about the Bengals is that is for real and in including it even in a game like this even against the Chiefs is the passing game like that I don't think there's like they already lit up the same Chiefs defense a couple weeks ago. I know that the Chiefs didn't care as much about that game at the time as the the Bengals did, and they don't care certainly as much as they do this game. But the Chiefs still wanted to win that game, and they got worked by T. Higgins, Jamar Chase, which is what you would kind of expect to happen most of the time if the pass rush doesn't intervene. So, um, I feel like there's there's like a middle ground that that the Bengals offense is likely going to hit between. Uh, you know, playing actually good pass protection and playing as bad as they were to give up 10 sacks on like 32 attempts last week. It's like if they if if they just don't give up six sacks on 35 attempts here, Burrow could push for 400 yards and I still take the Chiefs to win. But that's that's more to do just with, you know, Mahomes just going like Neo in the Matrix. Uh, that, that one particular scene, of course, not just not like when he was learning uh taekwondo or whatever i mean like when he's when he's falling backward and going in slow-mo and shooting and stuff not Mahomes does that and, and there's not much you can do about it as an opponent no it's it yeah when mahomes is is in gear he's obviously just basically impossible uh to stop so when, when you're looking at this game for, from like a a fantasy perspective or, or dfs uh you're, you're looking at a total that's you know almost 10 points clear of the NFC championship game. So it, I, I imagine most of the exposure this weekend will be on the AFC championship side. Yeah, you would think so. I mean, there's, there's, there's a possibility that the, the Rams 49ers game is more explosive just because, uh, just because, just because of basically chance. And I guess if the Bengals don't show up on offense, that would be the main way. Uh, but yeah, I expect, I expect both the Rams and the 49ers to show up, uh, there's there's a little bit more maybe run dependence between those two teams, if only for the 49ers being so uniquely run heavy. But uh, yeah, the Chief, the Chiefs Bengals thing, I guess, is the one of the two that is most likely to turn into that very same shootout between the Bills and the Chiefs from last week. You know, one where the the team that wins pushes for 40 points or whatever, and the other team that loses keeps exact pace. It's like if the if the Rams get to forty, I don't really see a way that the the Forty ers get to thirty five. I think a Forty ers win is more like they got to thirty one, thirty five, and the Rams were held to twenty four, twenty seven, twenty eight, whatever. Uh, with the Chiefs game, you can imagine their defense kind of just like forcing two punts all day, and the the Chiefs still winning by somehow more than one touchdown. 
Yeah. So it, in the end, uh, but before we jump on to to the NFC Championship game, my prediction is, is the Chiefs win this one in a, in a romp. And, and I do understand that the recent history between the two, of course, but I just think the way the Chiefs are playing and, and I just think the Bengals have had pretty fortuitous luck to, to get to this point in the postseason. Um, I think you know, so, they, too. They, yeah. they didn't play great against the Raiders. I know that the, like their high-level games, they can hang with pretty much anybody, but I – I haven't seen evidence in the postseason specifically yet to, to make me believe that it's going to happen on Sunday. And Joe Burrow always rise, rises to the occasion. I mean, I, I have a futures bet on the Bengals winning the Super Bowl. It'd be pretty cool if they, if they did and everything. But just from an analytical perspective, I just think the Chiefs roll. I'm, I'll take it 30, 38 to 21. Oh, wow. Yeah. I'll say... Uh... I'll do the thing where the person where people are trying to guess a number and they cut off the other person uh, that just went and I'll <laughs> say uh, 37 to uh, 28. Okay. A little bit closer, but the chiefs still cover in that uh, particular scenario. Let's move on over to this NFC championship uh, matchup. Uh, the Rams uh, on our first uh, go round of, of this pod or earlier today, we, we talked about, uh, the Rams and and their ability to to beat the Bucks, but I really felt like the Rams were trying so hard to give that game away, and I, I think also, at the end, and, right? Like, yeah, I mean the, the 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 second half was just embarrassing until you know Stafford hit hit the deep ball uh, to to Cup, but you know that I I can't have a ton of confidence in this Rams team coming in, especially after the way that that the the, the Niners were able to to go in the, these last two weeks and just play and dictate their specific brand of ball. And, and like you mentioned earlier, it's a narrow path that, that the 49ers have to, to success. It, it's not particularly varied. Uh, a lot of things need to happen the right way in order for the, for the 49ers to have success. But I think they're built, built to have it uh, this weekend. I think, you know, this is the third time that these teams are meet, are meeting up and historically Shanahan has kind of owned uh, McVay and, I kind of see that coming to fruition again. I think that this is a a, a rather low scoring game, one where I think the the Niners win this one like twenty four to twenty, something like that. Yeah, that sounds pretty reasonable. And Shanahan, uh, maybe in game, he's liable to maybe lose sight of some things, like especially that Super Bowl where he was in charge of the Falcons' offense. It's like. He came into the game with a great game plan, didn't see it through all the way. But even at his worst, Shanahan tends to go in with a really good game plan. And um, maybe it's just tough for McVay to get an edge on him because McVay owes so much of his uh, his own system to kind of like the, the Shanahan tree and th- certain things that McVay, certain insights McVay might have that normally are unique maybe Shanahan is already a step ahead on some of the same subjects so he can kind of think like McVay does, but maybe it's not the vice versa. I don't really know. Um, the problem for the 49ers, and I, I do think the Rams, well, I mean, I don't really, I don't really think anything, but if I had to pick, I would pick the Rams to win just because Garoppolo can't be hidden forever, you know, and this mm-hmm. defense is not as good as the one that got them to the Super Bowl. I think the D'Amico Ryans is doing a better job than Robert Saleh ever did. And I think D'Amico Ryans is doing a great job. Their defense is obviously good, but they're still overachieving a bit. Like they're, they're having the success that they are because they're 
outwitting people. And I, I, you know, especially with a guy like Fred Warner mucking up the middle of the field and uh, with Ryan's being as good as he is, Bosa playing the way he has this year. It's like, there's definitely a way the 49ers defense can cause some problems for the, for the Rams offense. But if I have to make a call in a playoff matchup between Jimmy Garoppolo and Matt Stafford with Cooper Cup and Odell Beckham. I think I'm going to go with it with the Rams side there. I uh, expect this to be a game that where the punches go back and forth. Like, I don't think the winner pulls away like we might expect the Chiefs to pull away in the case of the AFC game. So uh, I don't I think this comes down closer to the wire. Uh, Kittle should have a good game. Uh Debo Samuel has never struggled against the Rams, so we we would normally expect him to have a good game. So maybe, yeah, maybe Garoppolo does fine, if only because the yards after the catch will be arranged for him. I don't know, but if he needs to make a real throw in a real pressure situation, uh, it, not to say Stafford's some sort of clutch, you know, monster. no, he's not. <laughs> he's far from that, but he also has a lot more going for him and he's still whatever the case, a much better player than Garoppolo is. So sure. I go with the Rams, but it's like, it's one of those things for my imagine my imagined way of the Rams winning for that to happen. It can be wiped out with a detail as little as like Odell Beckham had fewer than 50 receiving yards. Like I'm assuming Odell Beckham does more than that. And if he does less than that, I don't really see where the Rams go with it. You know, it's like Higby can only do so much, especially with Warner's on him at all. Uh, mm. I don't think Van Jefferson's any better than average. The run game, I don't expect to go anywhere. Yeah. What, so, what did you make of the, the running back rotation last week where, you know, Akers has the two fumbles and they still don't put Sony Michelle in? Like, I'm not a Michelle fan at all, but the way McVay handles his running back personnel is so stupid. Like, he's a, he's a really good coach overall. He's better than most, certainly. But the way he handles his personnel is it's going to keep him from seeing the success that he might otherwise put in reach for himself. You know, like you, you can't keep doing this thing where like, this is a, this is a broader issue that he has. Like this, mm-hmm. I'm thinking not so much the way that he handled those running backs in that game. I'm thinking like the two, two at well pick giving like 40 snaps a game and in, in playoff scenarios to Ben Scourneck. uh, ending up with just these absolute bums playing important snaps. And like, that's because McVeigh does not have any clue how to handle talent. He knows about, he he has all these visions of like things you can do on a football field. He has no idea how to, how to look at a player and know what they're capable of though, even for his own purposes that he has in mind. So um, he I don't, like, he cannot believe that acres needs that share of the usage in that game if he believes Michelle should play as much as he did the week before. And he did the same thing with like Darrell Henderson and Michelle at a couple points, like just completely inverting his playing time on the basis of what? Is this on the basis of like guys in practice and he decides like he's practicing so well this week, we're going to give him 90% of the snaps after we gave him 20% last week. Like you can't do that. At some point in this process, you were wrong, really wrong. And rather than uh, facing your error, he seems to do this thing where he just goes like, oh, no, it's because of how they practice this week. It's like, that's not that that's made up. That's you being in your own head and making things up. That's that's not that's not anything but superstition. So I don't know. McVeigh will never be good at personnel handling. Funny enough, Shanahan is not so great either, but he is definitely better than Sean McVeigh. You don't see the 49ers picking Tutu Atwell in the second round. <laughs> it is uh, is that going to be a bigger wasted pick than Hakeem Butler? Oh, definitely. At least Akeem Butler was, it was like, a, I think it was a comp 
four, a third round pick, so it was basically a fourth round pick. Uh, Tutu Atwell, they took him in the second round over, um, I mean, I still like Deami Brown and somebody else that I'm probably forgetting about, but at the very least, Amon Ross St. Brown, you know, and I know they have Cooper Cup already, but I'm sorry, you can you can use an Amon Ross St. Brown a lot more than a Tutu Atwell, no matter how many slot receivers you already have. So, um, yeah, McVeigh is just truly awful at the personnel detail. Uh, they got to get, by the way, they got to get Dante Dion off the field. I keep saying this, and they, they got by barely last week, but he played something like 30-plus snaps. Last time, he got whooped repeatedly by Jawan Jennings, and that's something you could predict because Jawan Jennings is 50 pounds heavier and only like a tiny bit slower than Dante Dion, who is slow despite weighing 160 pounds. So if the Rams want to leave Dante Dion out there, they can expect Jawan Jennings to dunk on him all game again. Well, shout out to the 160 pounders out there uh, representing, but um, yeah, that, that, that would obviously be a, a tough uh, matchup to, to try to slow down a guy in Jennings who is uh, massive. So looking at, from like a fantasy lens, any of any of like the the non usual suspects that, that you think could be maybe positioned to, to have a a nice game, someone that you would use in your lineups. You know, does Brandon Ayuk bounce bounce back? Do do we see something from from a Tyler Higby, or is that Warner matchup too too extreme for for him? Uh, what what are your thoughts there? Well, Higby might get a crack in the defense if Warner is doing something to deal with Cooper Cup, and if you're the 49ers, I don't know how you do anything else really like you got to see if you can keep cup underneath 90 yards. And if you can move Fred Warner to get that done, I think you take that chance. It's because if, if you're told like, you know, sure you can maybe slow down Cooper cup, but you'll leave yourself more vulnerable to Tyler Higby. If you do, that's a trade-off you take every time. You, you, no, you don't even need to see what the results are. You can know like, Oh, this might go wrong, but it's, it's better than the definitely go wrong. That happens when you, when you don't sell out to slow cup, but um, it, for the Rams side, it's just Odell Beckham. I, I know Van Jefferson can beat these corners, and I know Van Jefferson can make a play. But uh, for like median range projections, Van Jefferson doesn't get particularly close to me as Odell Beckham. I think I think Beckham still has it, uh, you know, ninety percent of it anyway, which is still a lot more than most receivers, and certainly too much for corners like these. Um, Otherwise, on the Rams side, I'm, I'm personally not really interested in Acres. I don't. I don't really. I, I think Acres is on the verge of being overrated anyway. Like I, I know he looked good in that game. I know he's a good athlete, but I think there's going to be this. Like before, it's easy to forget about this. People used to argue with you about whether Jonathan Taylor was better than Cam Acres, and I think mm-hmm. we're going to go back to that place. Um, I don't think he's that good. I think he is only good. Uh, I don't think only good is enough to move the ball on the ground against this 49ers defense. Not usually anyway. So, uh, yeah, it, it, like I am picking the Rams to win. But with that said, if Cup doesn't go and Beckham doesn't go, I don't see how they move the ball at all. No, they, they'd struggle. And, you know, again, like, like we kind of alluded to earlier, uh, you know, the, the Rams have the talent adva- advantage at quarterback. But, you know, say what you will, Garoppolo is pretty experienced and, and Stafford has not been this deep into the postseason, to my knowledge. Uh, and you know, th- these are familiar teams. This is again, the third time that they've played this year. I just, I, I can't really put great words behind it, but I, I just believe in this 49ers team to, to go in. And I think they're just mentally tougher. I think they're just going to get it done. They probably are tougher for sure. Um, but yeah, as, as far as the sleeper pick again, I, I know he's, 
uh, kind of it feels like chasing points to name him after he already had the two touchdowns or whatever the first time. But Jawan Jennings, if if they put if they put Dante Dion on him, I don't know how the 49ers leave that alone. Like that that's that's easy free yardage. So I, I like this matchup for Jennings. Okay, I'm I'm definitely gonna have to to throw him into a lineup. Let's see where he's listed on DraftKings. He is just thirty two hundred. And not to skip Ayuk because Ayuk is also in a good position. And if Ayuk sees Dion, he'll smoke him. Yes, yeah, that that's for sure. Um, I, I think maybe enough people got burned by Ayuk last week to to where maybe um. Yeah, don't base know, they, anything on last week with that offense. It was way too cold to be throwing the ball. Yeah, that game was just every hit. You're like, oh boy, that's Debo too. Debo's gonna have he's gonna come roaring back after a relatively quiet game by his standards. I think so as well. So um, yeah, really looking forward to this one. I think we've got two uh, really fun matchups coming here. I I, I can't believe the Forty Niners have have made it this far. If you told me in September that the Rams would be playing this weekend, I would have believed you. If you told me they were, if you told me in November that they'd be playing this weekend, I would not have. Though. Well, I would have been like, "Hooray! They benched Garoppolo." Um, <laughs> but the real answer is they are, what are they? They're like dumping him on the field out of the the stretcher and uh, to hand the ball off fifty times. I'm just picturing like the the Homer Simpson like futuristic. Uh, I think it, I guess it was a funeral, not to be too morbid, but like you know, he, he's like in a dump truck, and they just like like just dump out a bunch of garbage, and Homer's like just <laughs> on it into a grave. Oh yeah, that's that's it's like that too. If they lose, I guess. <laughs> and then uh, Lenny the Pope will um will be eulogizing, of course, um, as well. Um, so that'll wrap it up as far as our uh, conference championship discussion goes, but we won't dive into the entirety of this draft, but we did do a, a Rotowire staff super flex rookie mock. Uh, Mario, I'd like to run through our picks. We, we, you know, luckily, luckily enough for content, um, we picked right back to back, uh, in, in all three rounds. Um, I had the second pick, you had the third pick. Um, Brees Hall goes off the board at one, one. I went ahead and I took Traylon Burks out of, out of Arkansas. I think that just my general approach for, for this draft um, was to go heavy at receiver. I just am not a big believer, and especially like where I was picking, like being the second pick. I just did, I didn't feel like a quarterback what was nearly no. uh, w- worth that selection. This is a loaded core at receiver. You know, we're just getting so lucky with these insane receiver classes. I'm I'm not sure that I'll end up with Burks as my, as my wide receiver one. But as it stands, like there, there's so much going for him. You know, just the the frame is unique. You know, the 6'3", 225 pounds that, that can run like a deer. You don't get that too, too often. So I, I think you, you bake that in. Uh, you look at the production. You look at um, just kind of how he translates and, and where he's pr- his projected draft stock is. And it's like, yeah, this guy's going to be on the field and being a, a, a difference maker pretty much right away. Yeah, for me, the quarterbacks in this class are just awful, and I, I don't really have any interest in them. The two that I'm open to picking, and this is basically in like any round, like I'm not, or sorry, not, uh, I don't really want to pick either of these guys in the first round or something, even in a super flex, I don't. But the only quarterbacks in this draft that I'll consider picking at all are probably Desmond Ritter and Carson Strong. But even Strong. in. In this class, or like even in this draft, it's like I was nowhere near ready to pick either one where they went off the board. I guess it was close on Ritter, um, but I would have needed him in the third round too. Uh, to me, 
this is a class where you just go receiver, basically. Um, yep. A couple of the tight ends are a little interesting at a certain price. And crucially, um, so, so I didn't actually know this until like yesterday when I started to really get further into the draft. I don't think there's any depth anywhere. Even at receiver, I don't think there's any depth hardly. It's not like last year uh, where, where there was guys, you know, there's no Amon Ross St. Brown that's going to happen this year. Amon Ross St. Brown in this draft goes in the second round. And in the fourth round, we're picking some, you know, this like this this coastal Carolina guy or whatever. Not to totally skip him. He's, in, he's, in, he's like, he may be good. And indeed, once we have workout metrics available, that, that could change the picture a lot for a lot of these guys. Um, but yeah, the top of the, for me, that's the receivers that you go at um, and you try to get them uh, early, you know, cause like if, if you have a third rounder, I think you're, you're right at the danger zone where there might not be anything at all. Really. Um, Traylon Burks in any case, is one of two players who could compete for the top spot for me this year. And the other I took after you took Traylon Burks. So uh, for me, it's Traylon Burks and Drake London right now. And then there's everybody else. And if Drake London tests poorly, that's one way he could l- f- go down a tier. Uh, maybe Do you like- think that, 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 that there's a possibility that that happens? He might. It's just so tough to tell with these big guys how athletic they are. Right. Like, unless we get like Bruce Feldman or somebody like that giving us intel on what he's going to run. It's just tough. Some There have been so many times where I watch a guy and I think, oh, he's not that fast. And then he runs really well or a guy that I do think is fast and he, he doesn't run that well. So, um, and then there's also play, there's players who, like Mike Evans, who Drake London is often compared to when they're that big, especially it's just so tough to tell. Cause it's like, they don't move as choppy and quick as people who are smaller than them. You know, it's like that, they're, everything they do is a long stride version of every motion. And when you watch it, people are really bad at watching big guys and going like, oh, he's slow. It's like, no, he doesn't move as quickly as a smaller person than himself, but he is literally as fast. Like, he, he just doesn't look like it. Um, I think that there, there might be something to be said. You know, this is anecdotal, um, but he also has a, a, a strong basketball background. Like, he was on USC's team as a freshman before he decided to, to focus on on football and you you can kind of see it in the way that he positions himself uh you know just his ability to like shield defenders go up and get the ball like that that definitely like and getting a release off the the line Mm -hmm. like getting a release off the line is a little tiny bit like being able to dribble past someone who's in your face you know um so uh the other thing i'll mention is drake london's production is so strong at usc that even if he tests poorly it's the kind of thing that takes him from like top 10 potential to to still going like 25 to 35, you know, his worst case scenario to me is basically being like, I don't know, a Michael, Michael Pittman? Pittman kind of thing or something oh, like yeah. that. And that's not that bad of an outcome, you know? So uh, I'm okay with, with less than the best case scenario in his case, but Traylon Burks, I, I would at this point rank first between the two, just because I think when you look at Burks, it's a little easier to see that like this guy's going to be six two two twenty or something. And he's going to run like a four five two at worst. He could be the closest thing in the league to AJ Brown, other than AJ Brown, uh, just for the fact of being, you know, super productive, big, fast guy. It's like mm-hmm. if they're big and they're fast and they're super productive and they're, you know, age adjusted, super production productive, specifically. Uh, there's nothing left to discern, in my opinion. Um, but London, I'm not expecting him to be fast, but if he if he runs like any better than a four five five at something like six five two twenty five six five two thirty. Uh, that's going to be good enough for me because I think production like his generally tells you 
the the skills are there. Like it's there's there are some exceptions. Some systems make it easier on players than others. Um, some guys just do one trick over and over and over to accumulate their numbers. And sometimes that one trick doesn't work in the NFL. But generally, for the kind of volume, and especially at the age that London is, like he's not even going to turn twenty one until like July or something. So, and, mm-hmm. oh, sorry, I'm just he like put up better numbers than, for instance, Pittman did at like two years younger than him the whole time he was playing. Right. And I think that there's also something to be said for when USC would take the field this year, the the opponent knew where the ball was going and it just didn't matter. Like London's target share, I think before he got hurt was like close to 40%. Like he, the ball was going to him. Like he was the first, second and third read and, and teams knew that and they still couldn't really stop him. So yeah, I'm, I'm in on London. Let's let's hope that the medicals from from that ankle uh, all check out to be okay. And and then I, I do think that, like you said, um, he's someone that that doesn't fall further than very early second round. Speaking of second round, we kind of had twin uh, or very like similar prospect ideas yeah. for 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 our second round picks. So again, uh, picking in the uh, second round, second and third picks of a twelve team uh, rookie mock. I went ahead. And I took my guy, George Pickens, um, and, and you went with Justin Ross. And I think that those two are very similar in the sense that when they when they were healthy, they were unbelievably dominant, like just crazy. You know, you see it on the film, you see it in the numbers. It's just like, what what else do we need to prove here? But Ross having the, the neck issue that, that kept him out in 2020, and then he was just just cursed basically was, this, this past after that season. Alabama game, he was conventionally ranked as the top overall Debbie prospect. And, and, and rightfully so he was crazy. Like yeah. he was so, so good. And it's just like, there, there's nothing. He's just the next great Clemson receiver like that, that the discussion over, but it's been so long that I think people don't really recognize or, or remember how good Justin Ross can be. Right. And a lot of people look at that bad Clemson offense and look at his numbers in it and go like, oh, he he like fell off. Like, no, he still produced way above the Clemson baseline. Clemson fell off. He did yeah. not. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, I, I was writing up, um, and you can check this out on rotowire.com. I wrote up a, a futures article, um, and Clemson has the fourth uh, highest odds at the title this past year. And I looked at DJ Uyunglele's statistics from this past year. Six yards per attempt, yeah. nine touchdowns, and ten interceptions. Can you yeah, I really thought it was brutal. a typo. So Ross actually played really well, um, and, and this is the this is the more important point yet to me. He was a year younger than T. Higgins, and basically matched T. Higgins in that Clemson offense. And T. Higgins yep. is a star NFL receiver. So maybe Ross is not very good, but the odds are so slim to me that that's the case because it, it's. I mean, like the. Sammy Watkins was more productive than DeAndre Hopkins at Clemson, but that's like the scale of surprise that you'd be talking for, for Ross to be not good, anything less Mm -hmm. than good. And Higgins as good as he is in the NFL. Yep. So I I definitely like that Ross pick. And I did want Pickens though. I wanted Pickens because he had that, he uh, as a true freshman had a really, really good year for Georgia. Like the kind of year that only really good players have. Uh, so similarly, like I don't care about his missed time or the the numbers looking goofy in light of the injury. I just do not care at all. No, I, I don't either. And you know, I, th- I think it, it's like a, a mark in his favor that that if he was going to to suffer a torn ACL, that it happened last March, and he was able to get back on the field 
late this season. And he made two splash plays against Alabama. Like he just didn't play a ton of snaps, but he had like a 40 yard reception in the first game and then had like a 50 yarder. If I, if I remember right. And I was there um, in the national championship game, the guy is just, he's, he battles. He's so fierce on the field. Uh, the, the frame is, is, you know, basically what you would, would put together in like a creative player as far as like a, a Madden guy is concerned. And he's, he's got tremendous ball skills. Like, I don't know if there's a better, like kind of red zone type of receiver in the, in this class. And I think the fact that he's, he's back now and it will be closer to a hundred percent by the time that the combine takes place. I, I just see him as someone that, you know, if we, if we run this exercise again and we, we do it in early April or something, there's no way that Pickens is falling out of the first round in a rookie draft. I think that I, I think that the the, the hype is going to catch up. Yeah, I agree. And I want to mention quickly about the receivers. Like how I was saying, I don't think there's depth in this class the way there was for the last one. Uh, immediately after we took, or sh- shortly after we took Pickens and Ross, Jahan Dotson and Wandale Robinson went, and I was really close. I, those guys are close to Ross and Pickens for me. Like they're really good. Uh, that's where the depth falls off. I think. Like I don't consider Mechie particularly close to these receivers no uh, guys like Jalen Tolbert and Sky Moore and uh whoever else uh Romeo Dobbs like they're interesting but they're more like mid-round flyers to me they're not they're not in the clearly NFL starting projection like I I evaluate Dotson and Wandale Robinson yeah I do love Dotson and Dotson's one of those guys who played in an ugly offense but he carried basically all his numbers are really good yeah, just uh, you know when I when I would write up the the DFS articles every Friday during the college football season, you know I, I would you know sort sort some target data specific to the slate and, and Dotson you know always near the top as far as target share targets per game you know that's the stuff you you go after especially in PPR formats but um, yeah that, that guy's legit he always has been um, I, I definitely like his pro projection I don't think he's a star necessarily but I think he can be a very very good slot receiver, something like that. Uh, you mentioned uh, Jalen Tolbert and Sky Moore. Those are the guys that we took in the third round. I took Tolbert. Uh, you took Moore. Tolbert is a guy, uh, South Alabama, so so we know that the level of competition, uh, it's it's going to be a lot stiffer in the NFL, of course, but guy was productive. The, the eye test tells me that he has the, the requisite athleticism, I think, uh, to, to get the job done at the next level. Of course, it's a little bit more speculative with, with this guy, and this is being the third round of a, of a rookie mock. But I definitely like w- what Tolbert brings to the table. He's another guy that I, I foresee his stock uh, starting to rise. I think that there, there will be some sort of uh, hive uh, generated for Jalen Tolbert. I, I tweeted out Jalen Tolbert for, for Bolitnikoff at the first game of 2020. But uh, he has he has really interesting numbers. He's he's a tough case for me personally because he's quite a bit older than most of the receivers in the class. But okay. where I tend to where I tend to need to re- see a receiver really start to claim an opportunity is around that age 20 season. And his age 20 season, um, he did something pretty good. And the the other thing is the last two years, even though he was overage. His production also went to like a very insane level. Like it's it's one thing to be an overaged player who's kind of just good, and it's another to be an overaged player who's putting up like 14 yards a target in an offense that averages like eight yards a target. So um, as long as Tolbert tests really well athletically, like if he's fast and can jump, then at that point I'm in because even though he's even though he's kind of like overaged, he might. That kind of athleticism can offset that a little bit, and if the skills are there one way or another, he could be like another DJ Chark kind of guy or something like that. 
I don't know what to make of more really. Uh, he's been playing more out of the slot than he did his first year, and he's had really good production at Western Michigan. Took a backseat to D. Eskridge last year, uh, 2020, mm-hmm. but Eskridge was like 25 at the time, so maybe yep. it's just kind of forgivable. Uh, I will say, as much as I think Moore is solid pick for myself there, I wish I had taken the guy that I have since posting that uh, I fixated on as the running back sleeper. Uh, the guy after uh, Brees Hall and Kenneth Walker that I'm most interested in, the BYU guy, Algier. Oh, okay. All right. I think he's. I think his stock is going to go way up when people start taking a closer look at him. And uh, I does he, I does he have the BYU problem of being overage? I don't know, but uh, he looks like he's going to test pretty well. Is the thing, and his production is really great. So crazy. Um, at running back, I care a lot less about age. To me, that's a receiver thing because it's such a intricate position, technique wise and task wise. There are certain things that simply take time to learn unless you are a freak talent. Whereas mm-hmm. at running back, I don't think you really you don't really benefit that much by being older and the tasks are simpler when you play at a younger age, so it's not as meaningful. It's like that's how you end up like fixating so much on like freshman introduction is a good way to think like Jamar Jefferson and Travian Williams are the best running back prospects ever. Yeah, no, that's a that's a good point. Um my sleeper running back, uh, and, and you know, I, I'm fully prepared to be called a homer on this one. I like James Cook, man. Um, I really do. Um, I, I think that it's not a clean one-to-one comparison, but I think there are similarities to the Jalen Hurd, Alvin Kamara um, situation at Tennessee with Zamir White and James Cook, where where they, they had a guy starting that was getting the ball more and he, he was productive with it. But every time that they gave Kamara the ball, like better things happened, but they never really stuck with it necessarily. And I, I don't think Cook necessarily has the build like his brother to be like an every down back in the NFL, but he can be a, an absolute problem as a pass catcher. I think that he's going to make a lot of noise senior bowl week. I hope they don't like try to move him to receiver specifically because they used him in that capacity at Georgia a couple times this year and hit, you know, huge shot plays with him running routes deep down the field. I, I mean, I love his skill set. I, I think that we could see a similar sort of like buzz generated that maybe Demetric Felton did a year ago, but I think that in Cook's case, he's a more legitimate, uh, you know, NFL talent. Yeah. So I haven't looked at Cook much at all, but these these numbers are interesting enough, especially as a pass catcher. So um, if he's only like five ten, one ninety, then he needs to be pretty fast. So we'll see. Uh, but if he tests a certain way, and and that could go for a number of players that I'm otherwise overlooking right now. If they if they have just pretty good production, I'm probably missing them at this phase of analysis. But uh, if you have just pretty good production and you turn out to be an elite athlete, especially in a class that lacks depth, that's a good way to go from like a projected sixth rounder to surprising in the late third in the real draft. Yeah, I, I could see that. I, I think that you know, I, obviously, I took two Georgia guys and in, in, in whatever, but. Um, Cook, Cook, I will plant my flag on is someone who I think is getting slept on right now that I, I think is going to, to generate a, a decent amount of height. It's a thin uh, running back class. It is not months. a good running back. No, class, it's, so. it's, I'm not interested in Kenneth Walker, really. Like I do fine. like him if he tests pretty well because his production is really great to me. But the thing is, he's won by being kind of it, like he could run into the Daryl Henderson problem, which is if you win with big plays in college football, you need big play NFL speed to keep winning the way you always Mm -hmm. have. Um, And Henderson's a fine player, but he was 
insane at Memphis, you know, putting up the kind of insane production that kind of nine yards a carry. Yeah. Two years in a row. So um, that works fine when you are fast by conference USA standards or whatever, but uh, it it doesn't quite cut it in the NFL and and you either need to find a new way to win or you need to, I guess, like get faster somehow, which uh, you can't really do. Um, but yeah, Kenneth Walker, if he's, if he's 208 pounds and he runs a four, five, four, then I'm kind of out at that point. Yeah. I think that that's a, that's a fair way to, to look at it. Um, but yeah, obviously screeching production, his final year of college, uh, really did, you know, Good at Wake Forest too. He was, yeah, he was, no, he was totally fine there. The question um, is: they, Is he fast enough to win the same way he has always won to this point? And that—that's like the only question for me, really. There it is. That's going to wrap it up for this edition of the Roadwire Fantasy Football Podcast. Again, brought to you by our friends over at WinBet. For Mario Puig, I'm John McKechnie. Thanks for listening. Try Roadwire today, free for ten days. Get our premium tools. Rankings, analysis, and breaking news alerts. No credit card required. Go to rotowire.com forward slash try.